You can be seated. Well, good morning, good morning, Cornerstone people and friends. So good to gather with you all. Thank you, worship band, for leading us as we sang together some fine songs, songs that actually say something scriptural, songs that actually have some truth in them and you can sink your teeth and your soul into them. So thank you for your selection of those fine songs. We come now to the reading of scripture and then the preaching of God's word. We have a short scripture reading this morning. It is taken from the book of Ephesians chapter three, just two verses, verses 20 and 21. Please follow as I read them aloud. This is God's word. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Bow with me, please, as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for gathering us together on this Lord's day, blessing us with strength and health, and putting it in our hearts to lift up our voices and name the name of Jesus Christ. We pray that this may be a day of saving grace in this building and all over this globe. May those who are far from Christ come to him, call upon his worthy and saving name, we pray that believers at Cornerstone Community Church will be greatly strengthened as we now feast our souls upon your holy word. We ask that it will accomplish every purpose for which you have set it. May it not return to you void. We pray that you will shape us, mold us, make us into whatever you want us to be, Lord Jesus. Take our lives and have them. We offer ourselves afresh as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable in your sight, which is our reasonable spiritual service. We ask, O oh Lord, that this time in your word would make deep impressions upon our minds and our souls, for we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, I am very happy to tell you that we are launching into a new series today. Having completed the book of Deuteronomy, it was 13 messages, we're coming into a new series. And I was inclined to go to a new book of the Bible and work our way through it. But asking our elders, the six of us talking about it during the past two elders meetings, they all had a very strong consensus that, no, they'd like me to preach a, a, like a topical series on the subject of, well, here it is. There's a slide for this. The topic, the, the name of the new series series is simply church. So we're going to be hearing about church. I like one word titles, so humor me. It's about church. Now, why are we doing church? Well, there's a, several reasons I want to mention. Here's one, because we are one. So that's a pretty good reason, huh? So since we are one, let's find out what it's supposed to be from the word. Let's make sure we're a biblical church. Let's make sure we're submitting to Christ, who is the head of the church. Let's make sure we're doing church the way he wants us to do church. Let's do church to the glory of God. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. We're also do, doing this because we read in Ephesians chapter 5. This will be later in the message, but we're, we'll get it right now. That Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her her she's his bride he gave himself a sacrifice and an offering for the the church so whatever christ loved that much we want to love so let's learn more about the church furthermore christ said 
I will build my church. What's Jesus doing right now? This is later in the sermon too. He's building his church among other things. He's building his church. We want to be builders with him. So we want to understand what is the church? How is it supposed to be built? So we're doing the church. We also want a series in the church because Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 3, and we need to get this somewhere into the series. I don't know where, but he tells us, he tells the Corinthians, be very careful how you build. And it is entirely, entirely possible that you might build with wood, hay, and stubble, or you might build with gold, silver, and precious stones. We want to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. We want to build with good materials, those found in mind out of the Word of God. So we're going to do a series in church. So that's why we're doing church. We are one. Let's do it biblically. Let's do it according to the mind of Christ. Let's do it according to the Word of God. Let's learn together about church that will become a better one, a stronger one, bringing more glory to Him in the church. Now here's what the whole first message is about today. The whole first message is about the glory of the church. Here's what this message is hopefully going to do in you. I hope to impress upon you the wonder, the amazement, the glory of the church. You might not esteem the church highly enough. You might not see it for what it really is. So I want to bring out scripture after scripture after scripture, each one descriptive of the high and lofty thing that the church of Jesus Christ is. I want you to gain a greater sense of how wonderful, how important, how glorious the church of Jesus Christ is so that you'll love it, so you'll be in esteem of it, so you'll labor for it. By the way, if you want a little bit of help, let me show for those scholars among you, there are some, the, the probably what are the best written works on the planet on ecclesiology? That's the doctrine of the church. What's the, what are the best books? And really, it's easy. There aren't really that many of them, and a lot of them aren't much good. But this, this two-volume set by James Bannerman is one I would highly recommend to you, The Church of Christ. So for those of you, all three of you who wanted to know that, now maybe there's more. There's a woo. Somebody wanted to know that. So there you go. If you want to read more, and I'm, I'm checking out Bannerman again. I've read through him, but I'm checking him out again as I go through this. So here's point number one, that you might esteem the church of Jesus Christ more highly Point number one, I want you to know that the church uniquely manifests the glory of God on this planet. Uniquely, meaning nothing else glorifies God like his church. Nothing. The church uniquely manifests the glory of God on this planet. Where do I get that? Well, here's one good verse, Ephesians 3.21. Actually, it's 20 and 21. And Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul had read and knew about Psalm 19, where Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, and they sure do. And Paul knew what we know, that there are lots of things that glorify God. Your life can glorify God. Your singleness can glorify God. Your marriage can glorify God. Your parenting, the way you conduct yourself at work, all kinds of things glorify God. 
But Paul knew all those things, but he selected one. He selected one in his prayer wish here in Ephesians 3. And the one he selected is, let's glorify him in the church. I'm praying that Christ would be glorified in the church. I'm not discounting your family. I'm not discounting your job. But they don't compare to the church, to the church of the firstborn, the church that's bought with the blood of the Lamb. And so the church uniquely manifests the glory of God on this planet. Think about it. The church is where we have gathered worship of the people of God. The church is that to which God has deposited the ordinances and the public ministry of the Word of God. There is where the Word of God is heralded. There is where we have baptisms and the Lord's Supper. It is in the church. It uniquely manifests the glory of God on this planet. All the rest of the points are going to uphold that one. All the rest of the points are going to have the, help that one make sense. I want you to see this thing. The church manifests the glory of God uniquely on this planet. So let's go on to point number two about the church. Here's what I want you to know about the church. The church was uniquely, like nothing else that means, purchased with the blood of Christ. Amen? The church was purchased with the blood of Christ. Here's a verse for that, Acts 20 and 28. Pay careful attention, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Christ obtained what with his own blood? the church, the Ephesian church, the one the Ephesian elders were told to take care of and to shepherd and to watch for. Why should we do that? Why should we look to ourselves and look to the church and be very careful to care for it? Because it is uniquely purchased with the blood of Christ. How do we establish the value of a thing? Well, one way is what's it cost to get that thing? If I hold up a ring and we want to assess what's the value of that ring, and I tell you, well, I got it in a box of Cheerios, how valuable is that ring? Not very. It's made of plastic. If I hold up another ring and it's got the Hope Diamond in it, how valuable is that ring? That's pretty valuable because what would it cost to buy that thing? Who knows? I didn't look it up. I have no clue. A lot. One way we establish the value of a thing is by looking at what's it cost to buy that thing. What did it cost to purchase the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Answer, it cost the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us his blood was shed for many things. It, it tells us his blood was shed for the redemption of our trespasses and the remission of our sins. Bless God for that. But aside from that, about the only other thing we're told specifically, and he shed his blood to purchase his church. So the church was uniquely purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Was there ever anything purchased at a higher cost? I don't know. I don't remember. I should have looked it up. Just now went into my head. Uh, Elon bought Twitter. What did he pay for Twitter? What, how much? $44 billion. You just happen to know that. It's just... 44 billion, that's all. That's chump change compared to what Christ paid for the church. Christ shed his blood, the blood of God the, the Son in a human body, shedding his blood for the redemption of his people and the purchase of his church. There's nothing so precious ever been bought in God's universe as the church of Jesus Christ. It is uniquely purchased with the blood of Christ. So that means it's, it's exceedingly valuable. 
Like you're never wasting your time when you invested in helping build the church of Christ. You're not wasting your loves when you love the church of Jesus Christ. If there's any, ever anything worthy of your time and your contributions and your efforts, it is the church of Jesus Christ. It's uniquely purchased by Christ's blood. Here's the third point for today. It is this, Christ uniquely loved. He uniquely loved. He loved a lot of things, but he uniquely loved and gave himself for the church. We see this in Ephesians 5.25. Very simply, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, how many of you love your country? I sure do. I love the United States in spite of the mess that we are in spite of all the disastrous things going on here, but I love this country. But the Bible nowhere says Christ Jesus loved America and gave himself for her. Uh, how many of you love Ford trucks? I know you all love Ford trucks, right? Of course you do. How could you not? But the Bible nowhere says Christ Jesus shed his precious blood to buy Ford trucks. No, they weren't worth his precious blood. But the Bible does say that, the, that Christ uniquely loved and gave himself and shed his blood for the church. What does that mean? The church is so important. The church is so valuable to Jesus Christ. He loved it and gave himself for it. You want to be like Christ? You want to be Christ-like? Oh, I want to be like Jesus Christ. What do you do? Love his church. Give himself. Give yourself to serve in the church. I say this especially to some of you, and this might be more than a few of you, and this might be some of you who are, I'm glad you're listening online, but you're not in a church and you're not attending anywhere, maybe because you say, well, I tried church, and man, I got beat up. I went through a bad thing at church, and I was like, who needs this? I got this at work. Who needs this? I got this at home or with my extended family. Who needs this? I'm not going to church anymore. And I, I meet plenty of Christians. Well, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. I'm just not going to church. You got a problem. Because Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And you want to be like Christ? You can't walk away from his church. You can't say, I'm done with church. However painful it was, whatever disaster you went through, you can't just walk away from it. It's just like you can't walk away from the second commandment, which is love your neighbor as you Well, I'm done loving my neighbor because that hurts. I tried loving my neighbor and they hurt me, so I'm not loving neighbors anymore. No, you can't go there. You have to keep on loving your neighbor. And one of the places where you love your neighbor most is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't, I don't know what you went through, and I'm sympathetic. You, you might have gone through a bad thing. I'll let a cat out of the bag. None of you would ever have guessed this. I've been through a few bad things in the church of Jesus Christ. You would have never guessed that, would you? But I'll tell you what, by the grace of God, I'm not walking away because Christ uniquely loved this thing and gave himself for it. And I want to be like him, so by the grace of God, I'm going to uniquely love it, and I'm going to uniquely give myself for it. That's our third point today. Here's a fourth. Building the church is the primary thing that Jesus Christ is doing right now. Right now, seated there at the right hand of God. He died for our trespasses. He rose for our redemption. He appeared to many over the course of 40 days. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he is seated in session, all authority on heaven and earth given unto him. And what's he doing? It's been 2,000 years. What's he doing? Well, he's doing a number of things the Bible tells us about. Like one of them is he's interceding for us. Bless God for that. And there are other things. But here we're going to read about one of the things he's doing, and it is this. He is building his church. 
Now, I want to get a running start on Matthew 16, where he says, I'll build my church. I want to go back to the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 6, and get that running start so you can see that Christ is primarily building his church. When Zechariah foretold the coming of Jesus Christ, calling him the righteous branch, what did Zechariah tell us he would do? He picked one thing. One thing, what would he do? Tell us, Zechariah, what will the branch do? Zechariah 6, 12. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, that's your Savior, the Lamb. He's called so many things because he is so many things. For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. So Zacharias foresees the days of the coming of our Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on Calvary's cross for the redemption of his people. And he chooses out of all the possibilities, one thing to tell us that that coming Christ will do. And what is it? He, seated and ruling in power, will build his temple. And we find out in the New Testament that's exactly what he's doing, and his temple is the church. His temple is you. This is one of them right here. We should have named it Cornerstone Temple. Christ is building this temple. Now let's go to Matthew 16. Christ came. The branch branched out, and he came, and he came to his people. And Peter said at one point, Peter became convinced, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's how Jesus responds, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock is not Peter, the rock is the confession that, Christ, that Peter made, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock, on your confession, Peter, I will build my church. And this is good for us in our day. This is good for us to hear when the church seems to be pretty embattled right now. But listen to this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Sometimes you see what's going on with the church and you worry, will there be a church when my great-grandkids run? Oh, yes, there will be. The Lord will see to that. He'll always have his people. He'll always have those who have not bowed the knee to Baal. But here's where the Lord Jesus tells us, Peter, you made a great confession. Let me tell you what I'm doing with that. On that truth that I'm the Son of God, what am I going to do? Let me give it to you in one summary statement. I will build my church. What is Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father doing? Building his church. This is one of them. There are many of them. He's building the church universal, but, every church univer but the church universal is made up of churches local just like this one right here in Joppa, Maryland. Therefore, building the church is no waste of time. Doesn't matter how difficult people can be. Doesn't matter how you get hurt. I'm just going to keep on building the church. I'm going to keep on building the church. If my false teeth keep falling out on the pulpit, I'm going to put them back in. Keep on. I don't have false teeth, but someday that might happen. I'm going to keep on building the church. Some of you want, does he really have false teeth? Not yet. Christ is building the church. You're never wasting your time when you're building the church. In spite of all the difficulties related, build the church of Jesus Christ. Let's be a church of people who are excited about doing what Jesus Christ is doing, and that is he's building his church. Amen?
Amen. Thank you for that. Point number five. Let's note this. The church is the special. I use the word unique. I use the word primary. Now I'm switching and using the word special. The church is the special new covenant dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It is the special new covenant dwelling place. Now, why am I saying new covenant dwelling place? Well, because there were old covenant dwelling places. There were several. Can you remember what the first one was? I probably wouldn't if I was sitting where you are. But it was, it was uh, back in the days of, uh, of Jacob when he said, this is the dwelling place of God, when he was at the ladder and angels were ascending and descending. We'll come to that a little bit later. But I want to go instead to Paul, 1 Corinthians 3. The church is the special new covenant dwelling place. Paul writes to the Corinthians who were making a mess out of their church. Do you not know that you, now you need to know something about Greek right here. In Greek, you can be singular or it changes a few letters on the end of it and the you becomes plural. Like in our language, it would be yous. Or as some people in Pennsylvania say, youans. Have you heard youans? Well, in the Greek, it can be you, singular, or youans, plural, if you will. And Paul's using the plural in all of these. And he says, do you not know that you, plural, the church in, in Corinth, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you, plural. I thought God's Spirit dwelt in me individually. He does. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but we're in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul is saying, collectively, the Spirit of God dwells in you, plural, you Corinthian church. And so, by extension, we Joppa church. And then he goes on to warn them, if anyone destroys God's temple, this is God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, it is set apart, it is not like other things, it's in a different category, it's in its own league, and you, plural, are that temple. wonder how many of you have ever been to like a great world-class church building like St. John's or something. How many of you have been to an ancient temple, maybe the island of Sicily? My pastor friend, Reno Ulfo, drove me around to show me some of the great temples in that land. And they are amazing here. 2,000 years later, the ruins of them are amazing. But they're nothing compared to the temple that the, the branch is building, compared to the new covenant church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing place. And therefore, we want to build it. This will be an application. We want to build it according to the word. We want to build it according to the dictates of Christ, who is head over all things given to the church. We want to be a biblical church in every possible way. We want to take our marching orders from Christ. So, the church of Jesus Christ is the special new covenant dwelling place of the Spirit. Point number six, staying with me? By the way, if you're wondering, there are actually 12 of these, so don't look at your clock. We're going to make it. We made it in the first service. We're going to make it. There are 12 of these, and then there are six concluding points, so a lot going on today. Hang in there with me. Next, number six, the unique and special gifts given by our ascended Savior are given to the church. So again, Christ crucified, risen, appeared, ascended, seated at the right hand of God. And it says up there, what did he do? He gave gifts. To whom does he give gifts? They are given to the church. Let me show you this, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ gave you gifts 
to put into play, to put into action, to put into motion for the benefit of the body of Christ. You don't want to stuff those gifts in a drawer. You don't want to say, yeah, church is a hard place. I got hurt once. Forget that spiritual gift thing. I'm done with all that. I know what humans are like, and I don't want to go there. No, we all know what humans are like. They're like you. And they're like me. And we can hurt other people sometimes. But grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And now Paul's going to single out five of those gifts. What's Christ doing up there? He's giving gifts. to. He's building his church. How's he doing that? By giving gifts to men. And now he names five of the offices, five of the kinds of people he gives to his church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. He gave them to his church. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 7 through 11. What's Christ doing at the right hand of the Father? He's giving gifts to his church. Last Sunday, we witnessed he gave a new gift to Cornerstone Community Church. He gave us a new pastor. We ordained that pastor last Sunday. Today we're putting him into action. He's leading us in communion a little bit later in this service. Christ is giving gifts to his church. Now, I just want you to know wherever you work, let's say you work at IBM, it doesn't say Christ is giving gifts to IBM. Maybe you work at SpaceX. That's kind of cool nowadays. It doesn't say Christ is giving gifts to SpaceX. But Christ is giving gifts to his church. Why is he doing that? Because his church is what he loves. His church is what he died for. His church is what he gave himself for. His church is so valuable. What kind of gifts has he given to believers? It doesn't say, well, you get saved and he'll give you an iPhone. That's not the gift he gives you. You'll get saved and he'll give you a Labrador retriever. That'd be a wonderful gift. It doesn't say that. No, you get saved and he gives you a gift, a spiritual gift for service in the body of Christ to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And your gifts need to be in play. You need to be involved. You need to be a part of a local church where your gifts are put into motion. Number seven, the church is the body of Christ. And this part ought to blow your mind because we can't even fathom it. And the fullness of Christ. The church is the body of Christ and the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he, the Father, put all things under his, the Son's feet, and gave him, the Son, as head over all things to the church. And now he's going to describe the church. What, what church? What is the church? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is. It's the body of Christ. He's not here bodily anymore, but he leaves his body behind in the church. We are his body of Christ, but we are, this is mind-blowing. You can't fathom it. You can't grasp it. It's bigger than we are. And the church is the fullness of Christ. So do you want to experience the fullness of Christ? Oh, I want the fullness of Christ. Where do you go? Go to church. Be a part of a church. Invest in the church. Worship with the church. The church is the body of Christ, and it is the fullness of Christ. Number eight, let's keep it moving. The church is also the new covenant temple house dwelling place of God. This is building on something we saw earlier, but we're giving it more. I mentioned Jacob, and we're going to go look at that now. 
When the Old Testament is looking forward to the New Testament, it begins describing a house of God, which is going to wind up being the church of the Lord Jesus. But I want to take you back to Genesis 28 and show you where house of God began and then how it became this and then it became that and then it became the church. Let's start back where house of God began in the Old Testament, the dwelling place, the temple, the house of God. And it's in Genesis chapter 28 with Jacob. Here's Jacob and He's in a vision. He's in a dream state. God's revealing things to him. He sees angels ascending and descending from the heavens in this place where he is. And it says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. I thought it was just a place, but it turns out to be the Lord's in this place. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And what Jacob said about that place is what is true of this church and every church of the Lord Jesus Christ. An awesome place, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Well, then the house of God became the tabernacle, the tent that they hauled around from place to place. And then later it became Solomon's temple. And later it became Herod's temple. And by AD 90, said, God said to Israel, oh, I see you built another temple. Guess what? I don't need it anymore. And he sent Titus and crew to go raise, R-A-Z-E, the temple. And there has not been a temple since because there's a new temple made without hands. There's a new temple made of living stones. And the new temple, the temple, the house of God that started being mentioned with Jacob in Genesis 28 is now the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood this. Look at what he writes in Ephesians 2. We'll pick it up at verse 19. So then you Gentiles understood are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are members of the household of God. Where do you live? I live in God's house. What family are you a part of? I'm part of God's family. He's the father. I'm one of his children. Where's that house built? It is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also, you Ephesians, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what Paul writes to the Ephesians. And what's true of the Ephesians is true of the Joponians, (laughs) the Joppaites, whatever we are, the people who worship in Joppa on the corner of Mountain and I-95. Whoa, did you see what he said? We're built on the foundation of the apostles. Christ is the cornerstone and the whole structure is being joined together. It's a holy temple. We also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Indeed, the church is the new covenant temple, house, dwelling place of God. Do you ever think, and you probably do, do you ever think, well, I do, man, wouldn't it have been cool to see the tabernacle with the glory cloud and the pillar of fire by night? Wouldn't it have been wild to see Solomon's temple in all its glory? Even Herod's temple would step down from Saul. Would have been amazing to see Herod's temple. This right here is more amazing. 
That's how God views it, and that's how you ought to view it. Point number nine, furthermore, going on, and the church is the pillar and buttress. The word buttress in Greek simply means foundation of the truth. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. These are architectural terms. God has deposited truth on the planet. He gave us the 66 canonical books of the Old Testament and New. They are the inspired, infallible, sufficient, inerrant word of God. And who, to whom is, is the, the deposit made? Who holds it in trust? The church is the pillar and buttress, the foundation that upholds the truth. Let me show you where we get that. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul writes to Timothy, hey, I want to come there, but if I delay, I'm writing all this, understood, that you may know how one, how one ought to behave in the household of God, that one in, in Ephesus, this one in Joppa, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So your church is one of many. There are other. This church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. Actually, in, there, there's no A in Greek. There is a V, but V isn't used. It just literally, literally reads like this, which is the church of the living God, pillar and foundation of the truth. Where has God deposited his truth? Not with you individually, thank God. Not with me individually. No, he has deposited his truth with the church all down through the ages. It is the church that holds and safeguards the deposit. The church is the pillar and the buttress. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. The truth will never be lost. Just popped into my head. How many of you seen, let's see, Denzel is the guy, and he ends up being blind. I just gave away something in the store. And he car- it's a movie, and he carries the book of Eli. How many of you seen the book of Eli? I love that movie. And it winds up being the King James Bible, and he's by God's power. He's memorized the whole thing because he turns out to be blind. Kind of a cool book. Thank you, Denzel. The church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Point number 10, here we go. And the church dispenses the ordinances and the word and the primary means of grace. The church dispenses them. What do I mean by dispenses? Well, how many of you go to Chick-fil-A? You like Chick-fil-A? I like Chick-fil-A. We call in. I get four chicken strips. Sometimes I get seven chicken strips if I'm hungry. And a salad. It's pretty good, chicken strips. We got Chick-fil-A sauce in our fridge. Just put that on them. They're good. But you pull up to the window. I do the drive through now. You pull up to the window, and they hand you your chicken strips. They hand you your salads. You're going to take them home and munch down. They, they, they dispense the food to you. The church dispenses the ordinances and the primary means of grace. What do I mean by ordinances? Baptism and communion. What do I mean by the primary means of grace? I mean all the things the church is told to do, the things we do when we gather for worship. What do I mean by baptism? Why is it given to the church and not to individuals? It is, look at Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added, added to what? To the church in Jerusalem that day, about 3,000 souls. Glorious day, by the way. 
May the Lord visit us with one of those or a hundred of those. But notice they were baptized. By whom? By the church. The church does the baptizing. Same with communion. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered to break bread. They gathered to break bread. You didn't do that individually and privately in your home. You did that as a church. When you gathered on the Lord's day and Paul talked with them until night. He preached on until midnight. I don't have to read all that. You got it. All the primary means of grace. The preaching of the word. The singing of the word, offering up of prayers, baptism, communion, all these things are done. They are given to the church. The church dispenses the ordinances and the primary means of grace. What about the parachurch? Well, I'm thankful for it, but it's para. Para is a Greek word that means alongside of. It's alongside of to help, but it's not the thing. It's not the thing. The thing is the church. The parachurch can be helpful. We, we do parachurch. We are crew at Harford Community College, that's parachurch. We're fine with doing that. But don't let the parachurch eat up the church in your life. Let's go on. we got to go further. Point number 11, you're almost there. Hang in there. And it is the church that disciples the nations. It's the church that is responsible to disciple the nations. Look at all those people. Look at all those nations. Who does Jesus expect to reach them? The church. Let me show you that. Matthew 28, our marching orders, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always in that endeavor to the end of the age. What is the church supposed to do? Make disciples of all nations, baptize and teach. Now, that command was not given to you individually. You and you'll be glad to know, you individually are not responsible to go to all nations and make disciples and baptize every one of them and teach every one of them. You're not responsible individually. None of us is. Paul wasn't. That command, that burden, that responsibility is given to the church of Jesus Christ. It's the church that disciples the nations. Let me step back from that and just say, you see, the most important thing happening on the planet right now is what? Steve, you're just saying that because you're a pastor. No, I became a pastor because it's true. The most important thing on the planet right now is not SpaceX. It's not Tesla. It's not solar energy. The most important thing on the planet right now is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ discipling the nations. There's no more important place where you could spend your energy, that you could invest your finances in, that you could give your time and energy to. There's nothing more important than that. More important than law, than government, than finance, than economics, than education. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number 12, you made it, here's our final point, then six quick concluding ideas. The church, its growth and well-being was the great concern of Christ's apostles. What was their great concern? They were always concerned about planning churches, establishing churches, appointing elders in churches, sending letters to churches to strengthen and correct and build up churches. They're always, always, always working with churches. They had the church of Jesus Christ on their heart. Let me show you how much Paul had the church on his heart. Just one example here, 2 Corinthians 11. He just gave a long list of things he has suffered for Christ and for the church. And then he adds this, verse 28, Paul. 
and apart from those other things, apart from those outward things, apart from my long list, I was shipwrecked, floating in the deep, I was beaten, and so on. Aside from that, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Hey, Paul, what's on your heart? What's on your mind? What have you been thinking about? The churches. This is the Paul who said, be anxious for nothing. But he says here, I'm anxious for the churches. Daily anxiety. Oh, man, i got to help the Corinthians. Oh, man, i got to help the Romans. Oh, man, i got to write a letter to the Colossians. My anxiety for all the churches. Who of them is weak and I am not weak? Who of them is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul was all about the growth and the well-being of the churches. You want to follow Paul as he followed Jesus Christ. You want to follow Paul and love and serve and build and give to and care about the church of Jesus Christ. All right, we have 35 seconds for six quick applications. You ready for that? I'm going to waste three seconds getting a drink. Here we go. So point number one, please, in front of each one of these, please see the church as glorious. It's like nothing else on the planet. It's not just one of many things. Take your pick. They're all really wonderful. Surfing is about as good as the church. No, it isn't. The church is altogether amazing in its own category, glorious. I hope you'll have a greater sense of this by the time this series is done. So number two, love the church of Jesus Christ. Oh, I love your church, Lord Jesus. I love the church and want to build it, want to give myself for it, want to spend my energy on it. I love the church of Jesus Christ. Third, value your participation in the life of your church above most other things. I say most. God has established three foundational things on the planet. He has established human government. Well, let me put them in order. The family, the church, and human government. So human government's important, and the family is certainly important, but so is the church. And the church is more important than most other things that could possibly be in your life. How about getting groceries? It's good that you get some groceries or grow, grow some groceries. We like you being alive. But thankfully, church is more important than groceries because you're going to have the, How about changing diapers? Is that important? I'd say that's pretty important. you got a baby? Please change his diapers. But the church is more important than one person's individual baby. I hate to tell you, but it's true. So point number four in closing, so gather with your church faithfully. You're going to hear that a few other times before the series is over. The book of Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but gathering so much the more as you see the day approaching. Gather with your church faithfully. Plan never to miss. More faithful to church than you are to work where you make money. More faithful to church than you are to fishing where you have fun. More faithful to church than you fill in the blanks. What are you faithful to? Be more faithful to church. And by the way, I need to fit this in there. I think the elders asked me to fit this in there. So here's one time where I'm doing it. There will be more. And I want to exhort you in this series to gather with your church on time. I'm trying not to look at anybody. There can be many reasons why somebody walks in the door not on time, no judgment, but gather with your church on time. Like if you're ever on time for anything, shouldn't it not be the church 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's on time mean? Do I have to explain that to you? It means you're catching the opening scripture reading. You're participating in it. It means you're singing the opening song. By the way, there's a thing the Marines say, and they say if you're early, you're on time, and if you're on time, you're late. So be here early, Marine time. Let's be on Marine time at Cornerstone Church. On time means you're here early. Have some fellowship in the lobby, but don't forget to look at your watch and be in on time. Gather with your church faithfully. Number five in closing, generously support your church financially because it's the most important thing that Christ is doing on the planet. So why not? So you ought to, and then we'll have more about that later. And number six, labor for the health and well-being of your church. The church is worthy of your labors. So in summary, what was this about? Final slide, the glory of the church, the glory of the church. I hope you'll see much more about that as the series, series goes on. Bow with me, please, and let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this time in your holy word, and thank you that you have raised up Cornerstone Community Church here in Joppa, Maryland. O oh Lord, lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit and by your word. May we be a biblical church. May we be a sound church. May we be a doctrinally pure church. May we be a strong church. May we be a holy church. May we be a serving church. Lord, make us the church you want us to be. Knit our hearts together with one another and with Jesus Christ. For we pray in his precious name with thanksgiving. Amen.